Hey, this is Matt Irwin, and you're listening to Music City Gold on Penalty Box Radio. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Music City Gold, part of the Penalty Box Radio Network. We hope you guys are having a great start to your week. And guys, we got some big news. This show has gone weekly now. And they're looking at me crazy, so I will go ahead and finish the intro. Here are my co-hosts, Daniel and Matt. Hello. Hey, guys. <laughs> Big awkward silence there, waiting for you to actually give our intro. You know we have to go in order, Kyle. You I know. You can't do any news. You can't do any other prelims before we actually come in with an intro. So, This is the real world, real world guys. These things happen. Things change. You have to adapt. I know. But we are excited for going weekly. And uh, it's great timing because we are in the meat of the playoffs here. And now we get to talk a little bit more specifically about each game. So pretty excited about it. Definitely. And I will say, guys, even though it is Monday, uh, you guys will probably be hearing this on a Tuesday, possibly Wednesday. It's a Monday and it feels like it's been a long week already. Yes, it has. It has been. But I had to get caught up from the, the weekend. Had a bachelor party. Uh, you you were at the party. You showed up late with my smash hat on. Yeah, you were looking pretty fashionable with wow. that hat. And uh, all I'm gonna say is that is the best way to show up to a bachelor party with a smash hat on. <laughs> Walked in, said, "Did somebody order a stripper?" Mm, yep. Wow. And no. then Kyle actually went to the room to change. Ironically enough, but despite that, it was a fun, quick weekend trip for old Zebulon if he is listening out there. We love you, Zeb. And. uh yeah, Zeb's getting married. It's crazy, but had to get back to the real world. It was Monday, and it was a crazy, crazy start so far. But playoff hockey, we had two more games tonight happening, so I'm super excited. Yeah, I'm slightly perturbed because we're starting recording and the Vegas Sharks game is about to start. I know, so we're going to probably be but it updating was, yeah, as the game. It was either tonight or tomorrow night during the Preds game. So, Well, either one would have been rough, so... Yeah. And I would say we are kind of good luck when recording during a Preds game. Our record of wins to losses is actually more wins than losses when we record on a game night for the Preds. Correct. We even had that uh, three-goal outburst in the third period against the Blues that kind of blew our minds. And we played the Jets in that shootout game that was like 6-5 to five or something ridiculous. So who knows? Maybe we should start recording when they're playing. But And I know you guys are probably wanting us to get right into the Stanley Cup round two matchup between the Preds and the Jets, but you know we're going to go over some league news first. Good call, because there are some juicy matchups already forming. And as of right now, the Boston Lightning game just went final, correct? That's right. So that series is now even up as well. So we are now looking at a 1-1 second round across the board. Each series is tied through two games. It's the best time of the year. <laughs> uh, I know. Like I said this to Matt the other night, and all eight teams that are left are potential cup teams. Like They all have the ability to get hot and win the cup right now, and they're all really good. And if you look at their rosters, each one of them have some like huge name brand people on there, and you're just like, oh, it's going to be so good coming down to the wire and the stretch. This is what we're here for. This is what we've waited all year for. But let's go ahead and talk about some of these series. So we'll start off in the Western Conference, since that's our home conference for us. You've got the Vegas and the Sharks. They're tied up at one game each. And that was Vegas' first loss in the postseason after having previously swept the Kings 4-0. to So I was listening on the way home today from NHL Network. 
they said the Vegas crowd was having to kind of deal with the fact that they've experienced their first loss in quite a while. Yeah, um, they had an incredible regular season record as well, um, second only to the Jets. So I found it interesting that, you know, they might be a little disappointed with losing one at home. And they came out and crushed the Sharks the first game. So I don't think they were expecting them to lose the second game. And not to mention, Kane was suspended. So they're without one of their best players. So that was a huge response for the Sharks, in my opinion. You can throw the first game underneath the bus. It doesn't matter. You're supposed to lose the two on the road anyways, and they came in and did what they were supposed to do. They got one game, flipped the home field. Yeah, it was definitely – the second game went to double overtime, but you skip over the fact that the first game was 7-0. to zero. That was – nobody expected that because both teams come in hot, sweep in the first round, and then Vegas just destroys the Sharks. Obviously, they didn't even get off the plane. I mean, they looked terrible. Well, they were talking about the rest. I believe it was one team was coming off like seven to eight days of rest. The other team was coming off like eight to nine days of rest. They both had just over a week of rest, so you weren't really expecting one team to really show up. But I really don't think you were expecting Vegas to just dominate the Sharks like they did. Three goals in one minute and 31 seconds. Yep. No joke. I turned the TV on, went down to get a bottle of water, and they'd scored two more goals. Yep. He, Martin Jones, had in the entire first round, had only allowed four goals on 132 shots against the Ducks. But in game one, he allowed four goals on seven shots. Crazy. Bro, goaltenders, I don't care who you are, you are not above getting lit up in this playoff. The Western or Eastern Conference side, they are getting lit up. Tuka Rask has one of the worst percentages right now. And somehow, <laughs> yeah, and somehow, and somehow, they're in the second round. And it's funny because goaltenders right now are getting destroyed. So it's it's a shooter's game. Well, one thing, when Key, you take that big loss you know, into account for the Sharks, and then they turn it around in game two. And I think it was Andrew Berkshire who made mention of a couple of the key stats that uh, some of the adjustments the Sharks made to improve on their game and, and take those losses to heart and, and use that information to get better in the second game. And one of those things was – they knew that they had to win those neutral zone puck battles because Vegas had such good speed. Yep. And he said in the first game, the Sharks had only won 25% of those battles. And then in game two, they won 53%. So they more than doubled their effort in the neutral zone winning those puck battles. They completely clogged the neutral zone. It was incredible because the first game, it was just like they were allowing the uh, Knights to gain that speed and momentum to get into the circle or, or into the their half. And then it was... Cycle, cycle, cycle. Speed was everywhere, and you couldn't do anything. They couldn't even be physical. So it was nice seeing it a little further up past their blue line. Yeah, and that also led into the first night they had three goals that came off the rush, and because of them being able to clog up their speed in the neutral zone, the second game that got reduced to zero. So they did a great job making adjustments, and everybody was kind of getting scared after the first game after it was such a blowout, but credit to the Sharks. They came in and made some adjustments and, and wanted an OT. I'll tell you another thing that's impressive. Uh, my notes originally had five, but since that uh, game has went on, it's now six games. Flurry now has three shutouts in six games. Yeah, he's Guy's like, playing out of his mind. Yeah, you can tell he's wanting to uh, face the Penguins again and try to redeem himself and prove that they chose the wrong guy. He's playing out of his mind right now, but I, I'm not going to lie. I, I think I was more impressed with the Sharks coming back and winning game two than Vegas blowing out the Sharks in the first game. Yeah. 
Um, I'd say so. Because here, here's the deal. Yeah, you get blown out in the first one, but as the visiting team, you're you're expected to lose those games. You're expected to lose both games. So if you come in and steal one of them, especially after getting blown out 7-0, to zero, job well accomplished, and you didn't have one of your best players. So now you get to regroup, go home, try to get two at home, looking up for the Sharks. Just saying. And and one thing I did notice, we talked about how good Flurry was. I'd seen that this is Flurry's best postseason series in his career. That for, that round one, he posted a nine seven seven save percentage, which is his best in his career. Obviously, the it's not saying was, much against the Kings, though. Well, but. yeah, they had a little bit of lack of offense, but <laughs> but he did look good. Their defense looked good, especially in game one. I noticed great communication between Flurry and his defenseman, figuring out where to stand and and coverage. So I was very impressed with uh, with how the Knights have been playing, and I know. We, I kind of trashed Kyle's picks a little bit, saying Vegas was going to take it in round two, and I, I said they're going to get trashed on. But uh, they're proving me wrong. They're they're quite a formidable team. How many fingers I have up? <laughs> five dollars. <laughs> five fingers for five dollars. Yeah, we'll we'll see how that one goes. It, it turned out to be a good series after all. Well, I say we'll go ahead and we'll skip the Preds Jets because that's <laughs> going to come later, and we'll flip over to the Eastern Conference, where, as you just heard earlier, Lightning and the Bruins have now tied their series one and one each. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Boston just looks incredibly strong right now. They came in that first game, put up six against the Lightning. That was shocking. And I was like, wow, you're talking about shocking. how good that, yes. Sorry. Pun not intended, but I remember they were talking about how people were like, you know, Vasilevsky needs to be the Vesna winner. Okay, look, you just had six hung on you. Uh, you look tired, man. You look tired, bro. <laughs> You've been complaining all season. You're tired. You're showing it. Yeah, I mean, that kind of goes back to the regular season where they came out so hot, you just kind of knew that they were going to tail off a little bit. And you started to see a lack of production from their top line towards the end, which consequently knocked them down a little bit as far as the President's Cup. I mean, everyone thought they were going to win the President's Cup this year. At the start of the year. And they they tailed off hard. And that's one of the reasons why I didn't pick them to go past the second round was because I thought they were coming into the playoffs in a little bit of a slump. And against either Toronto or Boston, which I picked Boston, I didn't think they were going to match up very well. Credit to them. They made some more adjustments tonight. Yeah. And they they needed that win. Because if, if they lost tonight and then they're going to Boston, down two games, kind of like the Preds, I'm not feeling good about it for, for Tampa. But came back, solid win held all of the big-name players at bay. Yeah, Pasta's I, not on the board. I was watching that game, and they the Bruins went for like 15 minutes in the first period without a single shot on net. So Lightning did a great job in holding, especially that first line at bay. Talk about making some adjustments. That was They needed to do that. Speaking of the goaltenders matchup, how Vasilevsky has been kind of tailing off lately. Same thing with uh, Tuka Rask. He's actually... Uh, I've got some of his stats. They're not looking very pretty. They're down there with Peck. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was going to spoil some of that later. But, yeah, Tuka Rask, out of the eight goalies, he's in seventh place in both categories and goals against and uh, and save percentage as well. And one thing to note, it was uh, the last game. Remember, if you saw that clip where Tuka Rask's skate blade fell off and you started trying to wave it at the, go- at the referee to get some attention on the Sergachev goal. Yeah. And uh, they they weren't having it, and uh, I don't know if they just didn't catch uh, his attention, or because there's apparently a rule, rule fourteen point one that says. You actually looked this up. Oh yeah, I looked it up. 
I figure you're just making this up as we go. Yeah, actually, uh, the NHL said that Rule 14.1 says that a play shall not be stopped nor the game delayed for reasons of adjustments to clothing, equipment, skates, or sticks. But they asked the ref after the game if he'd seen Tuca trying to wave at him to tell him something. He said, I actually would have stopped play, but I didn't see him. So it worked out for at least – tell you what, at least it wasn't – that game wasn't decided by one goal. So Perhaps he was just throwing his mask off. Or his skateboard. Yeah, <laughs> or kick the pegs off the – Kick the peg, whoops. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, come you mean on. Kinda, you mean kind of like what Lundquist did that one day, throwing the net off? <laughs> yeah. And that kind of goes back, uh, talk about an interesting goal situation. We kind of skipped over it in the Vegas game. The How it went to double OT was because there was an interference call that happened against Vegas. Do you remember that? I don't remember if it was in the third period. Oh, no, this was, this was in the overtime. It was in overtime. Was it in overtime? Yeah, because that was the one that got called back, and we were we, we saw the GIF. I can't remember where we were well, at. Well, we were – Sitting down, waiting to start Infinity Wars. That's why we weren't watching it live. Yeah, Justin would be proud of us. We were we were waiting to watch Infinity War. Have you seen it, Kyle? Yet? Not yet. Oh my god! Sidebar, but we're sitting there waiting, and Matt's like, "Oh, look at this! Look at this!" And we we were watching the GIF, and it was another questionable call. But I liked that one a little better because one, it was overtime, and they overruled it and let them settle it on the ice with a good solid goal. Yeah, most people kind of the general consensus is they called it interference and and looking back, most people generally agree with that because the goalie stick, the back of a stick was hanging out, but he didn't really he was in the crease and the uh, attacker didn't make any effort to skate around it and he ended up knocking him off and that's why and so that's ended up why he ended up scoring on that play. So everybody pretty much agrees that the ref got it right on that one. And then Logan Kocher had a Incredible goal, too. Right. And like I said, I, I prefer that in overtime because you are settling the game on the ice with a good quality goal rather than a questionable, uh, he hit him, so let's yeah. call it you know a good goal. But who knows with goaltender. We'll, we'll get more to that here pretty soon because we have another controversial call on the eastern side. That's actually what I was about to go over to. So you guys know that I really want the Caps to beat the Pins. That's one of my life dreams that they finally get over that second <laughs> round playoff hump which by the way they said today on the nhl network the caps and pins have faced each other 10 times in the playoffs that's incredible second round right pretty much that's that's just crazy and uh, unfortunately for washington the last three times have not been good if they just have this mental block with them but hopefully they can get over it in the series but they they are tied one-to-one credit to them but i'm not gonna lie the first game lost in washington is brutal for one reason. The Penguins are playing without Malkin right now. And, and you still they didn't have Haglin. And Haglin, but you still lose at home. Are you surprised, really? Honestly, I'm not. No, I, but here's the deal. They went down 0-2 against the Blue Jackets and were able to come back. But that's the Blue Jackets. That's not the Penguins. Yeah. Like you, you have way better. I, as much as I hate Sidney Crosby... You're not coming back against Sidney Crosby, Malkin, like the hot dog man himself. I mean, you're not <laughs> you're not coming back from an O2 deficit. So credit to them, they responded, played well in the second game, got the win. But that first loss with without one of their best players for the Penguins, that's huge. And you know they're going home. They already stole one. The Penguins are going to be high flying in that roof. And if Malkin comes back anytime soon, you're done. Yeah, he's actually. 
confirmed going to be out for game three, but... Yeah, he was actually in a non-contact jersey today, but he had a full helmet on with a face mask. So they're speculating that he actually had like a cheekbone fracture or some dental work. Apparently, I was really diving into it today, and some people said they saw him at some dentistry in Pittsburgh. So it has to be something with his jaw and or slash cheekbone area. So Well, that's cheeky. Wow. You were waiting for that joke. I was. Anyway... Back to your point about... So, Caps come back and win game two, four to one. But, but there was a controversial <laughs> call on the ice on a goal from Patrick Hornquist. Now, if you didn't see the game, I watched the replay of the goal several times around just to get the idea of what they were going to. Of course, last night during the Preds game, they were showing it as well because it's such a big deal with already the NHL's favorite topic of goaltender interference. Yeah. And so what you have is that... Patrick Hornquist jabs in a wraparound attempt from Sidney Crosby. Puck looks like it goes in. Camera angles show it possibly did not go in. Now, what I did not realize is there is no overhead angle for those pucks. They only have sides. Yes, this is true because you don't have a camera mic right in the bar essentially you have one on the back which is another angled shot and then you have the side ones which are angled shots so you don't have one straight up and down on it and the perspective does matter because i know you tweeted that matt today and Uh i actually watched it and i was like that's actually a good point so if you go follow the music city gold account or matt's account which is matt bain 31 by the way you will notice that one of the tweets that we tweeted out was a image of the puck from the camera angle that we saw where it looks like it is over the line. But when you flip the angle up, the puck actually did not cross the line. And do you know the reason for why that perspective exists? It's some There's some physics principles about the way the light refracts off the ice or whatever, but basically it boils down to the way the paint is on the ice. It's slightly below surface. So it might be a half inch or an inch below the surface or whatever. Yeah, because and, there's a layer of ice on top of the paint. Right, and that's what makes it kind of visually uh, mystifies you into thinking it's actually past when it's actually not based on the depth of the paint on the ice. Magic. 3D, 3D. who knew? Yeah. Three-dimensional. I mean, that's crazy, right? Yeah, I don't know how much exactly that played into it. All I know is the NHL needs to get what that what tennis does, and they got that 3D image <laughs> rendering. Yeah. It goes down to like microscopic detail. I don't know why hockey doesn't have that yet. Yeah. Well, the NHL's always been slightly behind on things when it especially comes to like the replays and stuff like that. So I'm not surprised that they don't have an angle. But I wouldn't be surprised that if that topic does not come up now, saying, hey, maybe we need an additional camera on the crossbar. What could we do to get that technology for her? For hockey, because it's incredible. It's yeah. absolutely incredible for tennis. It's easy. You have to go bribe Gary Bettman. Do, do you know how that works? Like, do you yeah. honestly know how it works? Is it like a satellite or something? I don't know. I don't know. And they even showed the bounce and, and how it's... I, I know. I know. How could that not work for a puck? It probably could, but... But it anyway, the situation in the hand was the goal was called a no goal on ice, and that was the significance because it would have taken demonstrative evidence to overturn the call based on video review which there wasn't any so the call on the ice stood as a no goal uh do you guys agree with that or i think so i think people are making a bigger deal out of it than it actually was because at that time washington was up 3-1 right so it wasn't going to change the game really 
yeah, that, that didn't decide the game. So I guess you could be a little lenient even if you got it wrong. But I guess they made a right call on it. I don't know. That was that was a tough one. Well, speaking of t- tough calls, I know some fan bases had a uh, issue this week where they had some lineup changes in their front office staff. Yeah, this is the, the white-collar moves, baby. It's, it's time for some organizations to clean house and start cleaning out the cupboards and looking for some new members to join their team because it is yeah some of these some of these needed to happen so matt you got your list over there what you got for us yeah it turns out the toronto maple leafs fired their gm lou lamarillo today yeah i was reading up on this a little bit uh he's getting up there with age and it kind of seemed like once he signed on apparently it was a three-year contract kind of to rebuild him kind of mold him and then he was kind of going to retire I guess but he's becoming a senior advisor which is like do you really need the money at this point like do you want to retire and just enjoy life but he seems to be the person who who likes to have his hand on a lot of things and stays busy so he's just going to move into more of a advising role yeah I was actually listening to some guys talk on Sportsnet and they were mentioning how Lamarillo's kind of uh alpha male and likes to have his hand in a lot of the pot and make the decisions that go around there and how Mike Babcock is the same way same thing with Brandon Shanahan and they had some speculation it was actually Brian Burke who was talking about it and said that you know he's known these guys for years and he everybody pretty much had some speculation was wondering if that was going to work out because you had so many guys who like to try to control and steer the boat and you just can't have that many people all at one time trying to do that. So, and I mentioned Brian Burke in there. Additionally, uh, maybe it was last week, he had announced that he was stepping down from the Flames organization as president of their hockey operations there. And at one time, he was the GM of Toronto as well. So, yeah, there's some quite big, you know, moves this week. But I think one of the more interesting ones that we haven't really talked about is who do you think is going to coach Dallas this year? There's some major speculation out there. So, say. Let's just say the Capitals exit again in the second round. Do you think Trotz is on the chopping block because he cannot get back past the second round? I mean, he he literally cannot get past the Penguins. I think he would be. I think they let him go, and I think if he does get let go, he's a perfect candidate for Dallas. Uh, I don't know. He's a successful coach. There's already one or two have already been fired in the last couple of weeks. I think they might be up for that slot. I don't know that I'd let go of Trotz just yet. I personally wouldn't, given his track record. But in our league, the way it is, it's like cup or bust. So it's yeah. it's it's very uh, I don't know. It's we recycle coaches really. It's not like they ever pull up a new young one from the AHL or someone who's had success in junior or something like. that. They don't do that. They always recycle coaches until they retire, and then they're forced to bring in new ones from the the AHL. So it, it's just interesting. I was thinking about that the other day, and I was like. Hmm. A little food for thought, some speculation for our off season. Yeah, I know. Also, Ottawa a couple of weeks ago had said they weren't for sure whether they're going to keep Guy Boucher on as coach for next year, but their GM said if we're keeping him, there's two things that's going to happen: is that we are going to make him play younger players more in our system, and we're also going to practice more. We're not going to have rest because their GM said specifically, he said, if I hear that rest is a weapon one more time, I'm going to kill him or something. So, yeah, that's that's not the signs you want to hear, yeah, by the way. Yeah, apparently. So he's kind of on the fritz. And additionally, your precious team, the Hurricanes, Kyle, they <laughs> fired their general manager, Ron Francis, as well. I knew that was going to happen. So Tom Dundon came in. He's a very hands-on owner. 
it's kind of making the hockey world uncomfortable that he's being so hands-on. Like, he actually did, like, the Player X interviews. And usually that's reserved for, like, the GM or the coach or somebody. And he was like, nope, I'm going to be right in the middle of it. Yeah, so we'll unpack a little bit Ron more. Ron Francis this. was the president of hockey operations, by the way, not the GM. Oh, Just okay. Quick, he, was he not correction. both? Okay. I think so. he was both. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was both. I researched that. Cool. Well, um, Unless I'm wrong, but pretty sure. Yeah, that's something we're going to have to unpack in the offseason, how some of these things, these staffing decisions play out, who's going to take their place, some of these coaching roles. It kind of, in the middle of the year, nothing was really happening. No major, we'd said that nothing major had happened as far as the coaches being fired. But it, towards the last couple of weeks, it uh, seems the ball is starting to get rolling. Coaches are getting the axe and GMs are getting the axe. So. Yeah, it's about time for the teams that didn't make the playoffs to start retooling to try to get to the playoffs next year. So they're wanting to make those moves fairly quick. And you know, talking about retooling, balls rolling, that gets us into the lottery draft that just happened. Yes, it does. It was and, in Dallas. And the rightful team did get their pick, let me tell you, for once, because the Sabres end up with the first overall pick in the draft. Had a 28% chance of getting it, and they got it. <laughs> Can you say tanked? I yeah. mean, it was pretty bad. That's a former coach of ours. Consequently, the worst power play in the league. Just, and that means with them saying. picking the number one draft pick, that means they're going to get um, Rasmus Dahlin. Yeah, most likely. He's definitely going to be the number one pick. One of the other GMs said uh, that pretty much slots one through six were pretty much set in stone, and then the others can be debated based on the team, uh, the team's need and such. But one through six, starting with Dahlin's, pretty much set in stone. I will say that the um, if we want to go through the order real quick, just so we get that out of the way. So Sabres took the first pick. Kane's got the second, and Hop's got the third. So come on, Kane's you've got second total pick. Let's make something of it. Then you get the Sens picking up at fourth. Yotes get fifth. Matt's Precious Red Wings get sixth. Yeah. The Canucks get seventh. Old Town rival Blackhawks get the eighth pick. Rangers get the ninth. Matt's Cup bus. Oilers oh, get tenth. Oh, boom. Brutal. Islanders get the eleventh and the twelfth pick. Nice. And their twelfth pick is Calgary's pick from the Travis uh, Hemonic trade. In 2017, Stars get the 13th, Flyers get the 14th pick, which is the Blues from trading Braden Shin in 2017, and the Panthers come up with a 15th pick. What I thought it was funny about this was, is they did picks 15 through 4 before the game. Yeah. yeah. And then they said, yeah, intermission, you get the next three. Yeah. Yeah, it was very suspenseful. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, the Red Wings definitely needed that sixth pick, considering, uh, well, they're going to get less picks from Razik now. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, just wanted to point that out there that y- y'all traded for you know these picks, and then the further he got in the playoffs, the more you got, and then they exited out in the first round, and then they didn't even really play him. Yeah, and speaking of uh, the other trade they made, uh, Tatar <laughs> he got he's, scratched. He's a healthy scratch. He has yet to play in the <laughs> Vegas lineup for the postseason. What Did he not summer? play tonight? No. Because they talked about possibly playing him. Yeah, the coach said that he is likely to make his first appearance in this series, but I don't think it's tonight. How's that make you feel? But down I was inside? like, seriously. Hey, but y'all got good draft picks for him. So if he sits in Vegas, it doesn't matter. Y'all got your picks. Be happy. Hey, maybe they could have won that last game if he was in the lineup. That's all I'm saying. Look, Matt. Maybe he doesn't care if Vegas does win the cup and he has to play a single game. He's still gonna get a ring. He's still gonna get his name on the cup. That's true. He's in the postseason. Oh, another funny thing about the uh, draft is that 
Elliot Freeman said on Twitter that the Vancouver's general manager, Jim Banning, asked the league if he could send <laughs> yeah. their mascot, Finn, to represent them at, at the uh, draft. But the league said no. But uh, That would have been cool. <laughs> yeah, Freeman said, I got mad respect for you to at least ask that. Cause yeah. That'd be, that'd be cool. Yeah. I mean, because they always talk about the fact the league's like very much a stern face no matter what in the draft they don't have want, some fun with they it they don't want marchand licking people on the ice <laughs> let me tell you remember he said that was false yeah i think it was the boston globe or some local newspaper that was said, clickbait for sure yeah. but at the same time that is way too good if you have <laughs> brad marchand just licking people at will i think uh was it dimitri posted a a picture and it was like oh that's a nice unprotected <laughs> neck you have there it would be a shame if someone licked it i yeah. mean it's like he's the ultimate heckler he's creeping up on my favorite player i love him (laughs) he's the ultimate heckler so gotta love him boys it's time you ready to unpack this yes yes we got a lot to unpack in these first two games for the jets and predators i think honestly the league and even nbc as much as they hate to admit it was looking forward to the jets predators matchup two high flying teams most points in the league Uh, i mean you can't be disappointed with it. It's you everything really you love and hate about hockey in two games. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really is. So let's go ahead and hit this first game, Kyle. All right, so game one, Nashville suffers a 4-1 loss in regulation to the Jets, despite somehow coming oh out God. guns blazing and out shooting the Jets 48-19. In fact, they set a franchise first period record with 20 shots and somehow did not find the back of the net. It... it, it it was frustrating to watch. Absolutely frustrating. Because we were getting scoring chances. But we weren't getting the rebound chances. Exactly. And that was what killed me. And as a fan, it's I know it's easy to see the whole ice, you know, from a TV or from a vantage point of the stands. But man, it was killing me when Hellbrook was letting up all those big juicy rebounds. And we were not there to get it and put it in the back of the net. And didn't help that the Jets kept us to the perimeter for most of our shots. Oh yeah, yeah. That's one thing. Most of you guys had talked about how much, you, how many shots you had, which is great and impressive. And usually you have a little more goals than what that was. And you can credit the Jets and say they pushed you guys out of the slot. But you guys are pretty comfortable with just taking shots at the point from your defenseman anyway, and that's where you get those second chance rebounds. And but it just wasn't happening that game. Uh, I, I know. And some games it's just. The stats don't make sense. I think we were even talking about it. it. Just it doesn't make sense. Hellebrook did play a really good game. Give him that one. He comes in here and steals one. That gets you to those like deep stats, like the high danger percentage saves, kind of like yeah. what we were talking about with Chris Mason, you know, earlier in the year, where you guys were tweeting back and forth <laughs> and trying to figure out who could win the Vesna. But Peck hasn't had the best first and you know second round starts, but. His high high save or high danger percent save is way up there, and I yeah, know they're actually, actually yeah. Rene and Hellebuck are actually like one point away from each other in high danger scoring chances. I think so. They're pr- pretty ideal at, at the moment. They're getting lit up on the scoreboard, and as far as save percentage and goals against, probably not good looking. Well, not good looking for any goalie right now in all these eight, <laughs> eight teams that are left. But they are getting the ones that really matter. So credit to them. Yeah, we'll see. Anyway, 28 to 16. So slot slot shots. You ready for this one, Matt? Because you were saying, boy, we're getting eaten alive in the slot. Yeah, for sure. 15 to 10. We were favored still. 
I, I can't believe that. That that does not make sense. You the, guys the, were getting the, lit up. The, in the stats slot. don't make sense. That's why I said. Remember in our group message, it does not make any sense how we didn't win that game. But it goes back to those big rebounds. We couldn't get the traffic in front of the net. We could not get it to land on our stick to save our lives. And Hellebrook did play a good game. All those factors led to them just coming in and stealing one, and that was crushing for a game one. Absolutely crushing. I will tell you one thing, though. The one Jets player that I've noticed in game one and game two, Mark Shifley. Shifley oh, is yeah. kicking butt right Shifley now. Shifley leads the league in goals right now Shifley, with eight. Yeah, and Shifley also is accounting for over 30% of his team's scoring chances or goals. So when he scores or when someone else scores, he's in on the play 30% of the time right now. Dumb. Yeah. One thing that's interesting, even though the Preds and the Jets are both high flying, like they make they score a lot of goals, but it, they do it in different ways. It's interesting to watch when we play against each other because the Jets like to hang out below the goal line and they like to cycle the puck. Oh, they, and they that like behind to, that net strategy, and they like to yes create you a saw pass it so right much during the, the game last night. And why that is that it makes the Predators so it weakens them on defense is because you see our defensemen will try to back check. They'll chase them behind Rene along the boards and try to back check and steal the puck. But in doing so, they're leaving their position and leaving the slot open for that pass that they like to generate from. So that's an interesting juxtaposition because that's not how we play. And it's, it's making our defense at odds. Yeah. I mean, we definitely did that in game one, game two, we looked much sharper as far as the slot. I, obviously, that third period was frustrating in the second game, which we'll get into. But, yeah, we definitely, definitely need to do better at that. I will say Kevin Fiala was the only person to score in game one. He scored just a minute and 23 seconds into the third, brought some life back to the crowd, and I really thought they were going to like get to it finally. Because it seems like we saw in the Avalanche series and in the Jets series, the Preds just can't play a full 60 minutes. They might play 20, might play 40, might play 55, but they can't somehow play a full 60-minute period. Here's the pivotal moment for me. You're down a goal, and you're on the power play, and Forsberg hits the post on a wide open net, and out of that sequence, the puck comes out, and Shifley scores a goal. It's a two-goal swing in a matter of 30 seconds. That is crushing you go to tying the game to down two and and that kind of bids back into what i was saying about how the preds are they like to be down two or three goals they seem to work well under pressure but you can't do that against this team with the jets you're not going we were sitting here watching together and i said the preds are not going to come back from this you can't do that against the jets they're going to make them pay and sure enough the preds sure enough weren't be it couldn't recover from that and i will say um paul statsney did get a goal in the first game too got a patrick line rebound and I would say almost going back to Shifley as well, I think Shifley is more dangerous than Line in this series. He totally has been. Yeah, the stats say that. His expected goals are like double of Line. And that was with even Line, you know, going forward a little bit in the game two. He had a ton of turnovers in the slot where he was basically one on one and he just missed them. So yeah, so Shifley is looking hot right now. He is the hot hand. I am guarding him in game three. He is looking good right now. So, and I will say, if you were watching the game, we did have a brief moment of panic as Ellis decided he oh needed his beard shaped a little bit. But instead, he took a instead of getting a straight blade, he took a razor skate blade to the face. Yeah, that was a little scary because it was up 
kind of towards his eye, and yeah. everyone was kind of holding their breath for a minute, hoping that it didn't nick his eye because that, that's like a major career flashback to Steve Eisman. Yes, career alter altering injury right there. So, you know, he got stitched up and came back that game. <laughs> I will like say, a hockey player. Like yeah. a real man. I'm sorry. Like, it was incredible. Well, I, I was like, he's back. coming back. I was like, he's coming back. And it, what was crazy, we were at the bachelor party watching this, and I even said, you know, it's it, it's the third period. I just can't see him getting stitched up and coming back that quick. And then I'm like, but it's, it's Ryan Ellis. This guy was playing in the playoffs last year all the way injured, his knee's just floating there. He's still blocking shots in the goal and saving goals, you know, with his knee that he ended up having surgery on in the offseason. So I was like, something tells me he's going to be back. And the crowd gave him a nice welcome when they saw him come back on the ice after taking a skate blade to the face. And blood's on the ice, too. I will say, if he had nicked his eye, I would have not been surprised to see him come out with a patch on his eye and back out skating. Look like a full pirate at that point. Oh, yeah. Dude. yeah he's got the beard, beard for it. Get him a, get him a parrot. Red beard. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I mean, anyway, absolutely incredible. But despite all that, we did still lose the game 4-1 to one and lose at home. And then everyone freaked out on Twitter. Oh, my gosh. Actually, I will say that Pred's Twitter was more of the, we're going to have a mini freak out, but then we're going to quickly get our collective head back together and realize that this is not the end of the world. Pred's Facebook, on the other hand, melt down the ship down, get yeah. rid of... Uh, David Poyle, you know, whatever. A lot of people I'm... on Pred's Facebook were calling for Rene to be set in place of Saros. Yeah. And like, you it's know, game, it's not going to happen. It's, it's one game. It's one game. I, I will entertain that notion with a level head, but not but no, just no. saying it just because you're mad and trying to assign blame to somebody. That's not the right not, time. To not after he only allowed three goals. Yeah. <laughs> Because the last one was an empty net. So he only allowed three goals. It wasn't like you got chased out in the first period by letting three in the first yeah, period. As he long played as you're a whole not game. in three on seven shots, you know, and you're playing against the Jets, it's understandable. Saros has put in more of a wake up call for the team. It was, hey guys, yes. you're sucking. So Rene's sitting. We're putting Saros in because you guys can't protect Rene. Yeah. That's all it was. Yeah. I mean, that's just a reaction to tell your your forwards and your defensemen to, hey, kick it into gear. You let your goalie down tonight, so <laughs> you need to be better going forward, which we were. And that leads us into game two. The Jofa line shined as Joey got us on the board right at 30 seconds into the game. Real quick. That was the exact start we needed, let me tell you. And and there was a theme that Arvidsson was just going to kick butt tonight, and he did. First of all, the jump screen. Love it. Just completely took Hellebrook out of the play. And that was where we were lacking in game one. He still had line aside on most of the pucks. And, you know, when we had a little bit of traffic, he was giving up the rebound, but we weren't there to get it. Man, <laughs> RV with his little patent pending jump screen, it's it's incredible. He just did a nice little yeah. hop. Johansson knew that he was, you know, going to be able to slot it back on the top right. Just buries the shot. Johansson looked really good, too. Oh, he did. Looked amazing. And I'm really surprised that a lot more players, especially of the smaller caliber, are not trying to do something similar to Arby's jump screen because usually plays like that become popular with other players trying to replicate them. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. if They're probably just not tough enough to get in those down and dirty areas because this big defense and knock them out of place so much. But, but that's one of the things that make Arby who he is. It is. Arby Hustle, man. 
He's one of my favorite players now. You have to admit. Oh, yeah. Even Matt is like, each game Matt watches of the Predators, he slowly like puts, you know, he puts Arby a little higher on his list because yeah. he's just one of those gritty players. He's the hardest worker, and he's got so much hustle and aggression. He goes he goes 100 for every play, every puck he goes after. He's always the first one on the puck. Yeah. I don't understand it. He's not even the fastest player. Like It's just like, it just doesn't make sense. It's like He just wants it more. Uh, he, he does. And credit to you know David Poyle for signing him for $4.5 million. Still. That was a straight-up steal. $4.5 million. A lot of people give him crap for that one, but... Uh, I'm not gonna lie. That's probably one of our best signings here recently. So now, what we did not like though was the fact that the Jets turned right around and within 30 seconds themselves scored two goals from Bufflin and Shifley to get a two-one lead as the first closed out. Yeah, so it was a four-on-four for the Bufflin goal, and for a quote-unquote interference call. Yes, yes, it, it was definitely <laughs> air quote interference, but. I thought Peck should have had this goal. Um, it was a little soft. I will give Peck the you know the benefit of the doubt because he was closer in on him and he was actually in front of the faceoff zone, and it looked like Bufflin was going to pass to the middle, but Peck should have already been down on his pads because you can't get five hold that close. I mean, you you got to be set. Um, that goes back to you know Pekka not being as strong these first two rounds, and I mean these goaltenders are getting lit up in the in all eight you know teams, so he would have liked to have that one back. I'm just saying. But the problem was it was on a four on four, and then the Jets went on a power play right after. Yeah, like I, mean, I said, it was a phantom interference call because if you look at the replay of that penalty, the ref was not even looking at the play when he called it. Oh yeah. That was hilarious because RV kind of, you know, swung his stick over, and it was funny because Jeremy Roenick in the intermission said, I don't know how that's, you know, a, a slashing or an interference call because, you know, back in my day, players actually held on to their sticks because, I mean, he was really weakly holding it. I mean, yeah. he got hit and just kind of dropped it, and that's kind of what happened. I think he dropped the stick and it made the sound, and then the ref just went whoop. Arm went straight up, and he wasn't even looking at the play because the ref was trying to get out of the way of the play. Oh, so yeah, I'll you, give you that. You you gotta let you gotta let one of the other refs <laughs> that actually have a full line of sight make that call. That that's really tough. Um, but that said, credit to the Jets, they capitalized. Man, the Jets are that pesky team that they might not wow you on the five on five, but man, you make one mistake and boom, it's a goal. Yeah, I mean, it's like, boom, it's a goal. Every time we make one mistake, it's a goal. Oh, yeah, I noticed that so much. And you know what the one thing the Preds decide they want to do this game? They've decided they want to open a bakery up. Dude, turnovers for days. There's so many turnovers. They're just going to start selling pucks that are like blueberry turnovers, apple turnovers, cherry turnovers, shape of pucks, because they literally turn the puck over so much in the game. Yeah, it, it was rough to watch at some points. A couple stretches, you know, you had two or three in a row in your own zone. Oh, man, I was getting scared. Higher turnover rate than Enron. I mean, it's it's bad. Wow, that's an old joke. You were taking that way back, way, sir. That's throwing it way back. Anyway, yeah, it, it's pretty bad. It was um, It's playing with fire. You keep turning it over, and eventually you're going to get burnt. We didn't last night. But, but it is going to happen. And mark my words, you know Lavi is pulling the film and saying, you better not turn the puck over 
in the zone like this again in Winnipeg because they will make you pay. You cannot let Line A, you cannot let Shifley have the puck in the slot off of a turnover. Yeah, especially with how, like you said, how opportunistic the Jets are on capitalizing on those small mistakes, and they're starting to exploit those at times when those things happen. So you gotta you got to tighten everything up, especially in the defensive end. I know that leads us into the second period where Preds did respond. Subin and Arby got us goals. Another jump screen. Subin's bomb from the point was amazing to watch. Hitting that post and watching it ding over, I was like, That's a good I looked one. over at Daniel and was just like, I was like, I think I'm having a slight panic attack yeah. because that is just so great. I don't it, know what to do. It's We haven't seen that in a while from PK. And it's nice to see the defense starting to get some of that production. But yeah. he needed that big time because I did not think he played well in the first series. He did not. And he's looking, he's looking much better in this series. So hopefully he tightens it down. Ryan Ellis and freaking Ekholm have been rocks for Ekholm, us. Ekholm, dude. Ekholm, I... I love him more and more each time I watch him play, especially recently. He is just a solid, solid, rock, man. He's solid. And he, oh yeah, we'll, we'll unpack some more of the players that are just. Can you imagine the fact that right Ekholm now. has actually spent time on the third pair? Yeah, yeah. But now that his plus minus is incredible right now throughout the playoffs, and I'm telling you, he is that he's a stay at home defenseman, which is crazy. But the funny thing is. He's still generating a decent amount of, of offense because he is at that point and he is throwing those shot, shots towards the net, much like Ellis does. So we kind of have a little bit of both, which is nice now. But that said, PK did look better in, in this game. You mean he wasn't at the other goal line? Yeah, yeah, like in the crease. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, he's looking better, and I knew he would. Uh, some other players that are getting better at the second line looked more noticeable now. Yeah. So that is also a good sign that they are starting to you know lighten up a little bit because, uh, boy, they were non-existent in oh, that definitely. first series. But you know which player that I just find myself despising more than I thought I could? Who? Emmeline. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's play the the body or you know not the puck, the thing that actually scores the goal. Yeah, it was it was the first. I think it was the first game I'd made mention. I I attributed every goal against us to somebody, and the first one I think it was that was Emlyn. It was like Emlyn. <laughs> oh, like, yeah, he had two guys coming. He he played one. Realized he's not the one that had the puck, or he passed it. So he he turned around to get the other guy, tripped himself up in the process, then got stepped on, and he was totally out of the play. And then and then later on, it was said, oh oh, it was like the the Jets haven't took a shot in like 15 minutes, and they score a goal on the first shot. That doesn't sound probable. Oh, wait, you tell me Emelin's on the ice? Oh, I got you. That makes way more sense now. You know, I try to like the guy. I'm sure he's a great person to actually talk to. <laughs> but, like, his defensive play, I even heard somebody say, is playoff Emelin a thing? And I was like, God, I hope not. He is this year's Cody McLeod for you guys. Yeah, really. Uh, I mean, but just not a forward. He's a defenseman. It, it's worse. It's kind of on the other end of the things because Cody McLeod spent so much time in the box you guys played your entire series a man down but with MLN he's in your own end so he's a defensive liability for sure yeah, yeah we pretty much have uh, 5D the entire time the traffic cone is, yeah. is literally I'm still just so mad you're talking about him playing the body I can't remember which goal I know it was in the first first game I don't know which goal uh, he was it was responsible the first for. one because it was a sloppy yeah. sloppy play in the I think it was sloppy play on the blue line they gained entry and like he just yeah, totally yeah. went for the body. Yeah, like, it's like what are you doing? And it was he he went for the body and it was his 
his line mate bailed him out because he totally missed. First of all, he bites the puck, played the body on the guy that no longer had the puck. It was out of possession. His line mate hit him. Then it was out. a two on one, and then there was someone on the back post. It was Tanev, and Tanev ended up putting the second or third rebound because Peck got the first save, and it was like he couldn't have any more toe extension, and, yeah. which was like so frustrating because there's not a defenseman there to help Peck with three rebounds. You know, when you're talking about defense, let's talk about the fact that we allowed the Jets to tie it and take it to double overtime. What the heck? This team, of all things, I want them to improve on, besides turnovers, is clearing the puck when the opponent has pulled their goalie. Every time, if we spend more than 30 seconds in the zone and we we can't clear the puck, I know we're going to get scored on. I had a coworker who's at the game last night. She said, she's watching him. She stayed for the whole thing, by the way. She said, I... Watched him for a good thirty seconds to a minute, just try to get the get the puck out of our zone. She's like, "It's going to go in," and it went in. She's like, "I'm not surprised." Yeah, She's like, they're terrible at it. it and I don't get it. Well, and we were we were watching this, and of course, like immediately, we were like, "Oh, PK! Oh God, what were you doing?" Like, yeah, on we the were back unpacking post. that pretty good. Well, first of all, what led up to that was the Jets were heavily out shooting the Preds in the last ten minutes. It was like eight to one or something. So oh, they yeah, had so had after the RV goal, which was incredible. The slap shot. We didn't even talk about it in the second period. Right to put us up. Tanev got another one to tie it, and then Johansson came back really quick with that absolute. I mean, just undressed. Oh, it was a nasty level. goal. Absolutely undressed and top shelfed it. He looked so smooth. Johansson is now heating up, which is a good sign, too. The top line's kicking it. But once Shifley put it in with the empty net, it was like it was almost like we knew it was coming. It was, we weren't even mad, which was funny, because we were watching this game, and we were playing so bad with the cycles, we knew we were about to get bit with the, you know, I mean, the Jets with a man advantage, you're going to get burned two minutes in your zone. But it was very difficult to decide where the blame was on this play. Because it's like, do you push up on the puck to not allow the the opponent to pass it across the ice? Because I think it was Wheeler. Was it Wheeler who passed it? Yes, it was Wheeler with the primary assist. Wheeler had an incredible pass, but he was not being pressured. He had plenty of time. Plenty of time oh, yeah. to make that pass. As and Stu Grimms has pro- said, plenty of time and space. The, the problem was... Subban had two people on the back post, and then he had to make a split second decision on who he was gonna who he was gonna you know guard. So he moved in front of Peck to guard right in front, and then the problem was Shifley just did one step back, and Wheeler right across the slot, done. Yeah, I had looked at this. I had tweeted the gif of this, and I, I kept looking at it over and over because I really wanted to get the sense because I don't really want to crucify PK if it wasn't his fault. So I looked at it a bunch. I initially thought, well, PK, he probably should have covered the guy on the right wing more than the guy in the middle because theoretically Ekholm has a left side covered, so you need to air to the side of the right. But when I kept looking at it, he had both guys. He gave a check, then gave a check, then gave another check. And then, and then he got pass. checked. <laughs> and then he got pushed out of the play. So when I kept watching, I said, you know, he actually did a pretty good job considering there was two guys on him. And the reason I would have liked to have seen Eckholm a little closer down, he was kind of at the face-off dot trying to uh, add some block in front of Peck on that side. But I would like to have seen him down a little farther. For, but, the, cross, for the cross pass. Yeah. But he had two guys to defend because they were on a power play. Or, you know, they had the empty Yeah, out. I mean. So there wasn't too much you could do. Actually, I thought he played pretty well. It was just pretty tough. It was a great pass. 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, I credit to, I think, honestly, we should have pressed more up against the board. If you have one person there, you know it's a tough angle anyways. Press him and make him swing it back up to the point. Yeah. Make him swing it back up. Don't allow him to have that time to slot the puck. And that's what he was looking for. And so I don't know. I can't remember exactly who was on the bottom left, you know, to the left-hand side of Peck if you're looking from behind the goal. I feel like if someone's over in the, those corners, press them a little bit. Make them cycle it back up. I'm okay with them cycling up at the point. I don't want my slot open. You don't want Mark Shifley with an open shot open net. in the slot. Yeah. yeah. So it's whatever, you know. <laughs> I mean, it, it is what it is, and it – you know, you just dusted off, but we responded well. That and that was the key because I'm like, we we went in overtime and everyone in the room was like, "Do you go down 0-2, losing both games at home, and now you got to go to Winnipeg and you have to win both now to even make it a remotely yeah. close series?" You guys would have been done if you yeah, lost. Yeah, yeah, and that's game. the thing, and that's why I'm like, you go into that locker room knowing you gotta win this game. You have got to pull it out of your butt somewhere and win this game. That's what I was saying. We were sitting here watching it during the intermission, and I said, you know, this is really the defining moment for your guys' postseason run because – What are you made of? Yes, exactly right. What are you made of? You you lost the game, or you game-tying goal, take it to overtime in in the last 60 seconds or so of the the period. You guys had the game won. They come back. They tie it. Now you're going to OT. Are you guys going to have the resiliency and the determination to fight back and get this goal and to win this game? Because if you don't, you're toasted for the rest of the playoffs. This is the defining moment right here, and sure enough, you guys pulled it out. And, and the crazy part is the first overtime, uh, we weathered the storm that first minute. You know, the Jets were wanting to push that first minute, obviously. After that first minute, we were dominant. We had almost every single scoring chance after that point. Arvey had like three or four. I mean, he was all over the ice. He was just He wanted that goal so bad. Fisher had one backhand that got lifted. Actually, excellent if that defensive went in, move. That oh, the place would have come down yeah. because first of all, Carrie Underwood was in the house. She already sang the anthem. Fisher would have scored another game-winning goal in overtime because he did the triple overtime one against the Sharks that I was there for, which is probably my favorite game of all time that I've ever attended. You're um, welcome, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Kyle skipped out. <laughs> Kyle skipped out to go to a movie. What a noob. <laughs> and I had a birthday Zeb and I, date. Zeb and I were, uh, poor Zeb, by the time we got to the triple overtime, and it's like one in the morning, I look over, and he had the, the towel over his face, and he's like, head was in between his legs, and I'm like, bro, are you okay? And he's like, I'm about to pass out, because he was screaming oh, so yeah. loud and so hard that he was like red in the face, no oxygen. It was incredible. We scored. I was hugging people. We were listening to Thunderstruck on the way home. Best game ever. It's 1.30 in the morning. Hockey gets better after midnight. Man, it was crazy. Anyway, would have would have blown the place up. Didn't. But we get to the second overtime. And this is where you're like, oh, man. You're wondering, when is that attrition going to take place? You know, which team looks the freshest? Which we still did. So credit to our conditioning coaches. We still look fresh somehow in overtime and longer games. But finally, we break through. And who is it? Who is the guy? Who is the line, I might say, that has sucked in the first round? That would be the line of Turris, Fial, and Smith. And let me tell you, as much as I love the pass... As much as I love the finish move, oh yeah, Turris, baby, yeah, I know the you're going. star of this play. He got knocked down 
right in front of the penalty boxes, somehow muscled him out with one arm, got back up, and then chips it with one hand up ice to Smith. And he got enough on it to where Smith didn't have to slow down on the zone entry. Yep. I was like, first of all, incredible pass. <laughs> I mean, absolutely incredible. Because Turris actually looked like a man possessed last night, too. He was very scrappy. Oh, yeah. He's had a terrible postseason, so, you know, man on a mission. And then you have the saucer pass over the defender. I mean, just textbook from Smith. And then Fiala just with a nice little one-two. Get him to bite hard. Get him to, to, bite, hard get him to right. bite hard on the right. Because he knew he was sliding over from left to right. Slots it. Place blows up. Absolutely blows up. And we respond well. We show the resilience. We win the game. And now it's 1-1 and not 0-2 going to uh, Winnipeg, which is huge. And I will say, even though it was a great goal, did you notice that um, Hellebuck even did get a little piece of it? He did. Yeah, he, did. he did. And, I mean, Hellebuck's been playing really well. He would have had all of it if he hadn't got bit so hard going to the oh, right. Oh, yeah, on that he, got, he got bit insanely hard. But you know what was even crazier is I was looking at the stats for Game 2. So, <laughs> compared to the stats of Game 1, we dominated Game 1 and still lost, where Game 2 it was more even. Offensive possession, Jets had 8 minutes and 8 seconds. We had 7 minutes and 39, so slightly lower. Shots on goal, 50-41 to 41 in favor of the Jets. Ironically enough, Pekka set a uh, franchise record for most saves in a playoff game. Uh, scoring chances. This is what is crazy to me, how... More goals were not scored. 30 to 40 in favor of the Preds. 30 to 40 scoring chances. That just goes to show you how dangerous these two teams are. Uh, and we kind of alluded to that before the series because we had games where it was like 6 to 7, you know, 6 to 5. And both goaltenders were good in those games. They weren't bad. So, uh, slot chances 18 to 13 in favor of the Preds again. So. Incredible, absolutely incredible that there's a stark difference between game two and game one, yet game one we still lost. Don't you just love hockey? Y- yeah, you got to love it. But also Adam Vinnigan said, since 1988, Kevin Fiala is one of four NHL players to score two OT playoff goals before his 22nd birthday. Do you know who the other three players are? Because this is an incredible list to be on. I saw that stat, but I didn't see who the other three know. were. Who are they? Yager. Oh, nice. Galchenyuk and Kucherov. Nice list right there. All Hall of Famers, in my opinion. Proof of that list a lot. So he is the he's the fourth player before his twenty second birthday to have two overtime winning goals. Absolutely incredible. And for another deep stat from at Angry Preds fans, did you know that in round one, game three in twenty seventeen Carrie Underwood sang the national anthem. And do you know who had the overtime winner? Kevin Fiala. <laughs> do you know what happened in round two, game two of 2018? Carrie Underwood sings the national anthem. Kevin Fiala. Wow. GMDP, he's getting on the phone right now, and he's booking Carrie Underwood for every single home game. I think I would take her over some of the other anthem singers we've had. Yeah, let's let's not get into uh into the first game cuz that was pretty rough. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. So yeah, speaking of the Carrie Underwood Fisher, do you know what Mike Fisher's face-off 
percentages so far in the playoffs this year? I don't know. It is 71.23%. Wow. Pretty good for coming out of retirement. For sure. So if you're like 55%, you're doing pretty awesome. But 71%, that blew my mind when I saw that. It's amazing what a little, little rest can do you in the offseason. <laughs> I'm telling you, like, Kerry must have nurtured him back to health because I, I, 71%, that's unheard of. And that is huge because Lavi can now, you know, roll that line in on defense or, well, you know, when they're in our offensive zone. And he's winning the puck almost three-fourths of the time. That's incredible. So that's definitely been another huge factor for us in this first round. Is Benino's also up there. I think he's around 63% as well. So incredible stats for, for us. Uh, another great stat for the second game um considering we're not a hockey town do you know <laughs> do you know what nbc rated us for the local hockey market for game two I'd say probably third well it's not we didn't beat buffalo well no it's not actually that kind of ranking so locally we produced a 10.9 rating in nashville to rank as nbc's sports Group's highest-rated second-round game ever recorded in the national market. Fantastic! Wow. So we we are crushing records as we go here, um, as far as the Nashville and the greater South area. Uh, it seems that we might actually be a hockey town, and we might be generating income for the league. So, you know, <laughs> just food for thought when we're we're talking about outdoor series games and. Global Series games that we never get awarded, but you know you generally have to be a Penguins, uh, you know, wearing a Penguins jersey or a Blackhawks jersey to get awarded those. So you know, who knows what the future has? But what a great series so far! Two games in, it finally became a series. But Game Two was what we had hoped the whole series would be, and I have a feeling it's going to probably go the distance. So I'm excited for more games. I'm excited for more playoff hockey. So when is Game 3? Well, Game 3, you can catch it tomorrow, and that's Tuesday in Winnipeg. And then Game 4 is going to be also in Winnipeg on Thursday. Then Game 5, since we're going to have a Game 5 now, is going to be on Saturday. Yes, Saturday, and they just announced the time. That's actually going to be a later game, 8.30 now. Which Whatever, it's the weekend. Yeah, I know, but we're going back to the whole Colorado schedule thing where it's... uh, it, it was just a lot, especially if the game goes into overtime. <laughs> we were kind of glad that it did start at 6 the other day just because, you know, it got done at like 10.20 our time, I think. So, fairly long game. But we are excited for that. And also, a quick update right now on the Sharks, or sorry, yes, the Sharks and the Golden Knights. The Sharks are up 1-0. to zero. Right now. That's what I'm talking about. Dang 27 it, shots on goal. 27 to 11 right now. They are absolutely stifling their production on offense. They made some minor adjustments, Kyle. That $5 isn't looking so hot right now. Well, we still got some games to go. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we play seven, Kyle. That's exactly right. <laughs> so, Kyle, why don't you wrap us up here? Because, you know, Matt and I are literally just going to turn around and turn this TV on so we can finish this game. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm pretty excited to finish the end of this. 
Yeah, it's kind of lame because I'll be turning around and going home to edit this and get it ready for tomorrow for your listening ears. Well, you know, someone's got to do the adulting. That's true. But guys, this is Music City Gold. We're part of the Penalty Box Radio Network. We're glad you guys are here for our first weekly show with the playoffs. You can find the show at Music City Gold on Twitter. You can find me at Kyle Hancock. You can find Daniel at C. Dan Drum, and you can find Matt at MattBain31. You guys have a great week. Enjoy the playoffs, and we will see you on the ice. 